0: What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls, where today the Pelicans are playoff bound. After giving us a scare with that four-game losing streak, the Pelicans respond with a four-game win streak, including a victory lap in the third quarter last night with one of the most incredible dunks I've ever seen. It almost looked like the Harlem Globetrotters came out at halftime. The Pelicans are, are now officially in the playoffs, regardless of what happens on Wednesday, but they still have everything to play on for, uh on Wednesday, they can end up anywhere from the fourth seat to the fifth seat to the seventh seat to the eighth seed. I think that's right. These guys will give you the details much better than I ever could to help us talk.
1: About- Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact
0: CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. About the Spurs, as well as everything that seems to be happening, we have three guests. We've got David Grubb. You can follow him at Grub of Crescent City Sports. What's going on, David? Hey,
2: how are you doing? Always oh, good to talk to you, Preston.
0: Yeah, man. Happy to have you back on. It's been a hot second. Uh, Always following you on Twitter. Uh, Some great stuff last night. Also, we have the editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. Follow him at Ali Cosell. Ali, did you get any sleep last night?
3: Barely, man. Barely. I've had to do radio shows today. Stupid Pelicans, man, for winning. (laughs) Uh,
0: Which ones did you go on today? You did Eric Asher, and what was the other one?
3: Yeah, and I just got off with Scott Prather, who's out there in Cajun country on 1420 ESPN. Look at you, superstar. And you haven't heard from D. Scott Alexander yet. No, he's been tossing stuff my way. He's a good guy. You know, he promotes David, myself, the whole community. So he's great no matter what happens, you know?
0: Oh, well, I think he'd be even better if he had you back on the show. Also, the prince of the portico, Mr. Kevin Berrios. Follow him at Kevin B for Bounce. Kevin, how are you doing?
4: I'm good. I'm freshly massaged and uh, ready to roll. (laughs) I uh, I want to ask... Ask Ollie, when's when's he going on Dr. Roof? That's when I want to tune in.
3: <laughs> well, first of all, you why don't you explain yourself about getting freshly massaged so that this suddenly didn't turn an R program for half the listener.
4: Uh well, my my girlfriend got me a ninety minute uh deep tissue massage for Valentine's Day and I cashed in on it today.
3: Oh
4: jeez.
0: Ali bite your tongue. We don't need to expand any further. (laughs) David, you are the guest of honor. Uh, Happy to have you back on, man. It's been a couple of weeks. Take a moment, do a victory lap, just reflect on the season. Of course, the ups and the downs, but just basically how it feels uh, not only for, for the organization, the New Orleans Pelicans guys who are on the hot seat all year long, but also for the community of fans who have stuck with this team for the better part of 15 years now to get their third playoff appearance in the past seven years. What do you think it means to this community?
2: Well, me, one of the things you, that I went back to um, in my article today is just how crazy of a ride it has been. Um, you know, In the preseason, national projections had this team at about a 39-win uh, clip, proce- you know, prob- most probably finishing out of the playoffs. Um, you had the, uh, the start that wasn't exactly what people anticipated. It was rather slow. Um, there were some great moments early on, but a lot of inconsistency. And then just when it felt like you're getting that rhythm with, with Boogie and AD starting to figure it out, he goes down. Then it feels like all hope is lost. Miritis enters the picture. You go on the 10 game win streak, you get all the way up to third and fall backwards. And then of course the four game win streak that they're currently on, which culminated um, really with the peak, the the high point being the golden state win. And then yesterday kind of being the cherry on top um, as we head towards the playoffs, it's just been an incredible thing to watch. Um, you know, you go from those peaks of frustration and exasperation with this team because you see what they're capable of, and then the the things that they're capable of on the negative end as well. So um, it's it's just been an exhilarating ride to watch them mature, to watch this group come together—a group of a lot of guys who hadn't played together, a coach that was on the hot seat, as you said, and a, an organization on the hot seat um, that responded with calm. Uh, that responded really this season with with an unwavering focus on their plan and then for the community I would say um, it's it would have to be a a little bit of a a strange feeling because on the one hand yeah this is great this is a playoff team it's an an exciting and entertaining team that we talked about for a good number of weeks now but then at the same time you wonder um, where that support has been and but you're also saying you don't want to say to fans it's too late to jump on the bandwagon because it isn't if they want to become fans now and ride this thing into the playoffs, let's do that.
0: Yeah. All bandwagon fans are are welcome at this point in time. Uh, the Pelicans are kind of a feel good story, a Cinderella story, if you will, especially after boogie going down, but the Pelicans just haven't enjoyed that much success. Uh, Anthony Davis has been the subject of, of so much criticism and, and speculation that he wants out or that he's going to go to Boston. Uh, so I, w- I was talking to, uh, Richie uh, from Clips Nation a couple of days ago, and those guys are all rooting for us. Everybody around the association who's not directly involved in the playoffs are kind of quietly rooting for the Pelicans to to at least, uh, I don't know, cause some disruption in the playoffs. Now, before I get to Kevin, I'm going to poke Ollie with a cattle prod a little bit. Ollie... Uh, we did some deep digging last night. Since Boogie went down, I think the Pelicans are somewhere around 20 and 13. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But of those wins, the Pelicans are 12-0 and 0 against teams that are not playoff contenders. How good are the Pelicans right now? And do you still think they can inflict some damage in the first round? Oh, that's a good question, Preston, because you're right. They haven't had those convincing
3: wins consistently over the better team in the league. That being said, though, one thing that I think everybody needs to look at is simply—well, it's not simply—it's—it's it's three things really. You look at their road record. It's not easy to win on the road, despite what people say. Despite all these tra- travel comforts everybody has nowadays, and these players—you know—sleep in the best hotels, flying on charter planes, getting the best meals, treatment, etc. It's still not an easy thing to go ahead and win on the road. And the Pelicans have been one of the best teams in uh, that capacity. And that's been honestly a surprise, considering how they fared on a road in past years, including three years ago. Um, next thing you want to look at is how this team closes out in final minutes of the game. And I wrote an article about three or four weeks ago, and I think David did, did as well, in, in a similar fashion as to where they're a very resilient team. This team in years past, you know, they'd be up and then they'd go down or they'd be trailing. They wouldn't have that attack, that mentality to come back and close out a lot of wins as for this season, guess who's the best crunch time team in the league? It's the Pelicans. So there's a lot of things that point to this team may be better than their record against the better competition. I think, honestly, we're, we're in for a good ride. The fact that, and you've got to point to this this win, recent win against the Warriors, who honestly tried to win that game, as, as you know, outside of Stephen Curry not being, they went full board into trying to get that win for Steve Kerr. Uh, And guess what? The Pelicans won. So I think it says a lot about what we can expect, which is the unexpected. But that being
0: said, the Pelicans have a chance regardless of the opponent, I think on making some noise. Kevin, I've got an interesting question for you. Uh, I, I preface this episode with the three playoff appearances, including this one the Pelicans have had in the past seven years, one being in 2010-11 when the Pelicans stole two games from the Lakers, and the other one, of course, uh, being that 14-15 season with that uh, regular season-clinching playoff spot victory over over San Antonio by virtue of the tiebreaker with Oklahoma City. Now, let's pull those three teams together, Kevin. Which of these three playoff teams do you think is the best?
4: that's tough um this one is definitely my favorite one I'll say that um you know I was I mean I I would have to say I think this is the possibly the deepest and most diverse team for sure um so I'm gonna go with this one I think this is a team um where Anthony Davis is right now in his career the level he's playing at that for Pretty much every series, any team we're going to play in the playoffs, ex- with the exclusion of the Golden State Warriors, I think we will have the best player on the court. Um, I think Kevin Durant is a better player than AD at this time. I, I think I think if you look at you know, Harden is the MVP, clearly, and he's had that kind of season. The difference between Harden and AD is that Harden can be a more impactful player because he's a player that has the ball in his hands. He's that kind of player. But if you just look at uh, basketball dominance, ability to score all over the court and play defense, I believe Anthony Davis is the best player on the court in any of those matchups outside of Kevin Durant. And it's close with Kevin Durant. It's just, and that's not a knock on AD. I mean, Kevin Durant is an incredible player. Um, So I think like you have him and we have Drew Holiday playing at the level he's playing. And if you have, Miritich, if Miritich, if this isn't a flash in the pan, if this is the Miritich we're getting, or even if we get 70% of this Miritich going forward, um that's a solid unit to to go up against anybody. Then you just need one bench guy to step up his game, whether that's Ian Clark, or I don't know if you want to consider Etwan Moore a bench guy. I mean, more of like a secondary role player kind of guy from those big three, um or Darius Miller, somebody like that can step up their game, check Diallo, the then I think you have a chance in any series and I don't think that we could have felt that way um with the with the last iteration of a playoff team now with the Chris Paul uh iteration maybe but then again it's like really Chris Paul drove that team Trevor Rice had an amazing series, David West was out. We were uh Carl Landry had an amazing series but you know we had a guy like Marco Bellinelli who, you know, some people like him, I never did. But I felt like at that time, he definitely let the Pelicans down. Um, there wasn't a lot of depth there. Um, so I think like this is the most complete team going forward.
0: Nice response. I put you on the spot on that one. So thank you for going there with me. Uh, we've got a couple of questions concerning uh, how to properly celebrate this. But before we do that, I, I want to ask the three of you the same question. I'll start with Grubb. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of national podcasts today, getting uh, kind of a pulse on what the league's perspective is on the Pelicans making the playoffs for the first time in three years and what they think the Pelicans are capable of. And uh, much to my chagrin, everybody's kind of pointing to the Pelicans as the team that every hosting playoff team wants to face. All four of these teams, whether it be Portland, Utah, the Rockets, or the Warriors, are all pointing to the Pelicans. They're all more afraid of uh, Jimmy Butler, Paul Millsap, and Denver Nuggets, especially if Jamal Murray can get hot. And everybody's kind of stepping away from being afraid of the Pelicans. Do you think that's fair or unfair, David?
2: I think it's in line with The perception of this team throughout the year, I think we've seen that a lot of people have not paid attention to what the Pelicans have been doing over the course of the season. And I think especially in relation to a team like the uh, Timberwolves, which is less experienced than the Pelicans in a lot of ways um, with their uh, frontline players doesn't have a player um, on the level of Anthony Davis just yet, uh, even though Carl Anthony Towns is a great player. And and so is Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins is an ascending player, but they're not, none of them are on the level of Anthony Davis. I think a lot of this really comes down to matchups and how teams uh, fa- fare against each other. Nobody against the Warriors would be a favorite. Um, I think the only team outside of the Warriors, the Rockets, which, of course, are the number one and two C's that the Pelicans would be a, really have a real difficult problem with would be Utah, which is a team that's basically built um, to stop the things that the Pelicans do well. Outside of that, I don't think that Portland is a team that can look at the Pelicans and think that they've gotten off easy. Um, the, You know, the Pelicans have played very well against Portland this season, as has Anthony Davis in particular. And I'd say the same for Oklahoma City or for Denver. Um, You know, Denver obviously has, has been a problem for the Pelicans at times, but yeah. I don't think there's this amount of separation there, especially with Denver struggles on the road that would make them a favorite. So outside of those top two and Utah, I think the Pelicans are even money, if not a favorite against any up anybody else.
0: Ali, I'm going to throw this over to you. Uh, obviously, all four of these teams have enjoyed a lot of success against the uh, against the Pelicans, and we'd like to draw uh, Portland in that first round, if possible. If they if the Jazz can somehow leapfrog them, the Pelicans sit their fifth spot, and Portland moves up to the fourth spot. But do you think all of these teams should be so uh, should have so much yearning to face the Pelicans?
3: No, absolutely not. And I don't care what national guys say because guess what? They've been wrong all season long. So I don't trust their judgment. I don't trust that they even watch even five or ten games of the Pelicans this season. I saw maybe just a couple of those guys. So no, I don't care what they say. But it's good though. You know what's good? It's good to be a Cinderella story, and I feel like that's what the Pelicans are are kind of being built up to be. Because I honestly see this team winning a couple of games. If again, this is without um, without a doubt, Pelicans have to avoid that seven or eight seed. Um, I'm talking about landing, you know, beating the Spurs tomorrow and so moving on I feel like the Pelicans can get a win or two off all these teams but you're right there's certain matchups that favor the Pelicans a lot more and I'm with you I, I actually enjoy all of them or I don't mind any of them I should say outside of the Utah Jazz I just think that would be a terrible terrible matchup and we've all talked about all three of us all four of us excuse me have all mentioned I think at one time or another that the Utah Jazz simply would dominate the Pelicans like they have all regular season it took for the Pelicans' lone win against Utah uh, to beat them when they were playing really bad ball. And we had DeMarcus Cousins at the time, too. But since then, wow, in that second half, I want to say the Jazz have won 30 uh, of their last 40 games, something like that. So you, just don't, want to, you don't want to have to face that buzz, Saul Preston.
0: Yeah, I put something up on Twitter. The Pelicans haven't beat the Jazz without Rudy Gobert in the lineup in over two years now. I think it's been something like 26 months since the last time that they were able to do it. And at the time, the Pelicans sported a starting lineup of A.D., Omar Ashik, Norris Cole, Dante Cunningham, and Bryce DeJean Jones. Uh, I know it's too soon. May he rest in peace. What a terrible story. But that's that's how long ago uh, was the last time the Pelicans were able to defeat Rudy Gobert. With that being said... They're going to be inexperienced uh, with guys like Donovan Mitchell carrying such a a heavy load. He's met and exceeded any expectation anybody had for him. Will he come up against the rookie wall in the playoffs? Uh, Time will tell. With that being said, Kevin, does any part of you hope that the Pelicans do end up at the seventh and eighth seed and kind of run into a David versus Goliath type scenario where they do face off with the Warriors without Steph Curry or against the Houston Rockets against James Harden and Chris Paul, who have had their own playoff disappointments recently?
4: Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I'm not really worried about who we end up facing. Um. Uh. I agree with Ali that we've become sort of a Cinderella story, and I think that we're sort of like America's team for those teams that are in smaller markets or people who don't have teams because they're tired of seeing like you know the 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 big cities always getting or the like you know the real successful team acquiring the star and stuff like that and how you know we're been through a lot of adversity you know I mean our you talk about Bryce Jones we had a player die we have our owner just died we had you know threats of moving all of these things that we've been through um injury ravaged seasons and I think it's you know people are ready for us to play well and and to challenge these teams and I'm ready for us to challenge any of those teams so like I'm just bring on whoever you got and I think we're gonna give them their best shot and I think You know, you were talking about the national media guys uh, saying that we're the team that everybody wants to face. I think a lot of that stems from in the media, in the blogosphere, all of that stuff. Everybody wants to point out when they're right about something, you know. Um, And I think, you know, that's their way of being like, you know, if we do lose, if we end up facing the Warriors and we get swept or just get a game or the, or the Rockets, you know, like, see, we told you, so they weren't that good of a team. I told you before they just got lucky down the stretch. I was right all along. It was just mere luck. They caught some people at the right time and made it in, you know, they can shape the narrative like that. Whereas sure. Like, I feel like, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm happy when I, when I'm wrong about something, when I get proved wrong, because I want, you know, like, you know, for instance, You know, I've been one of Alvin Gentry's biggest critics, and I'm happy to see that this team has succeeded so well since Boogie went down, and how he changed the way the team plays. I know it fits more of what he wants to do, but I'm happy to be wrong about him being a bad coach. Like I want that to be the. I don't want to see change. I want everybody to succeed, even when we make a signing I don't like. I hope that guy proves me wrong. I don't want to go back and be like, "Hey, I told you that guy was bad or this guy was terrible." I want those people to prove me wrong because I want this team to be successful. And I think um a lot of the negative attention that the Pelicans get is because of that. People underestimated them or just didn't think that wanted to seed or selfishly wanted us to fail so they could poach our top players um to their squads. So I, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. But, you know, bring on whoever you got. I'm ready to go up against them. And like I said, I feel like we have the best player in every series outside of the Warriors. So if you have the best player, you have a chance to win, uh, you know, any night.
0: Well said. And I do want to piggyback off something you said. Uh, I, I really respect our community, specifically you three, because uh you, you guys are very good at pointing out your flaws. I, I feel like this is an industry where everybody chooses to, to bring back old tweets of stuff that they got right, and you guys have absolutely no fear in pointing out things that you got wrong. And one thing that I got wrong, of course, was general manager Dell Demps. All last offseason, Kevin was on Gentry and I was on Demps. Following seven seasons of 400 basketball, just two playoff appearances, just two playoff wins, and that being back with Chris Paul, uh, I, I thought it was time to pull the plug. I thought seven years was enough, Ron, and here he's Pulled off the improbable, and I understand that it's not just him. You can you can give the kudos to Alvin Gentry, who could have expected what we've gotten from Drew Holiday, but. Like Kevin said, it, it is really nice to be proven wrong, especially about something that involves making your team successful. So I just wanted to point out that I really respect that Kevin has never hesitated to back off some of his statements from Alvin Gentry, even though going into this offseason, I know how passionate you were against having him as the head coach. So kudos to you, sir, and kudos to these guys. Let's start with some questions. I'm going to throw this one over to David. This one is from Waka Waka Wakanda, always sends in some great questions. Thank you so much to him. He says, how excited are you guys the pelicans took care of business and didn't have to depend on anyone else to help them get into the playoffs david
2: i think that was the most important thing to me was seeing how they were going to respond after getting the win at golden state that they wouldn't cruise um and there were some concerns last night for moments that oh once they built the lead and they let uh the clippers get back into it i was a little bit worried that they maybe they hadn't brought the intensity but you know to see them walk into the playoffs and not back into the playoffs i think um is a testament to the the mentality that this team has had all season and particularly since demarcus went down that when they faced adversity um, they've decided that they're going to press ahead and it doesn't always look pretty and it doesn't always look coordinated but they've done it as a group um and they fought and I think that's the story of the season, no matter how it ends, is the incredible competitiveness of this team uh, to put themselves in this position. And last night was, was great evidence of that. And now they'll go into this last game, um, you know, with the chance to have their longest win streak going into the postseason in over a decade, you know, so um, you know, th- they are not a traditionally a team that goes into the postseason hot. I think the longest streak outside of this previously is like two games and gone in with a winning streak of more than two games in I think it's 2004. So I mean this is this is an exceptional team in that regard and I think that's something to be proud of and excited about.
0: Ali, I'm going to make this one a two-part question. The first part of it is also from Waka Waka Wakanda. He said, the most surprising thing about the season is the resiliency and mental fortitude of this team in crunch time, especially on the road. And the second part of this that I want to add to it, Ali, is I think the Pelicans go into the postseason with one distinct advantage, even if they don't have a talent advantage over teams like Houston and Golden State. And that's that they have been kind of been Playing for their playoff lives all season long, and these guys have had these these heavy minute load uh, workloads all season long. Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday traditionally in the top ten minutes played in the past two years. These guys are already accustomed to those workloads. Now we know that once the playoffs start, guys like. You know, James Harden and Kevin Durant, who have been averaging anywhere from 32 to 34 minutes, their their minutes are going to uptick. They're going to be somewhere closer to 38 and 40. But I think that guys like Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis are better equipped to do that right from the get go, because they've already been doing that.
3: That's a good argument. That's one I haven't thought of. But you're absolutely right. Suddenly, when you take a player out of their comfort zone, there's no telling how he's going to react as to where the Pelicans. Yeah, they've been playing for a month and a half for their playoff lives. Have been playing huge minutes, so the core guys you've got to expect are all ready for this next step. And in crunch times, they've built up a reputation as a team that does really well. Just looking at some numbers, while you're asking me the question, Pelicans are currently ranked fifth in uh, in the league in uh, terms of uh, net rating in in the last five minutes of games where it's a close game. And there was 50 of those games out of 81 games Pelicans played in 50 of those where they won 30 of them. Uh, they they've all season long. Have shown that resiliency, Al- albeit they had that small slip up before this four game winning streak. But outside of that, they've been, I think, stellar. So you point to that. And then you also look at another thing is how they're trending all, everything's trending in the right way, Preston. I think that's the biggest thing. You mentioned how, um, or I should say, asked how the pel- players can adjust to their roles, being increasing everything like that. I feel like everything for the Pelicans is just gonna be the most seamless transition into the playoffs. They since Boogie went down, for instance, their defense has been playing as a top five team in the league, allowing somewhere around one hundred four points per one hundred possessions. That's outstanding considering the pace the Pelicans play at. And of course, we see all those opportunities uh, opponents have in transition. That's outstanding defense. And then, of course, offensively, they've gotten their um, their act back together. So I feel like they're firing on all cylinders. These guys are used to their roles. And as you mentioned, mentally, they're used to having the fight to win. For everything that they can get just to make the playoffs. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. These guys are ready as they'll ever be for the playoffs. And they're probably more ready than almost any team outside the ones that have, you know, a wealth of experience, like, you know, Golden State Warriors or somebody.
0: Yeah, they certainly could go into the playoffs on a hot streak if they are able to upend San Antonio on the last day of the regular season, which is tomorrow. Kevin, we got some good questions from Tejado. Some of them will, we've already answered, and you specifically answered them. So I'm going to finish with his last one. He says, Drew Holiday has surprised me more than I could have imagined. Pelicans rally after Boogie goes down is unreal. And I want to trace this back to last summer. Uh, we all harped on uh, Drew Holiday and his contract. And of course, McNamara did as well. It, it was a popular topic of conversation to debate whether or not he deserve that 150 million dollar incentive late a uh, latent deal and of course he's lived up to it and more uh you can argue whether or not the market dictated what he needed to make or if the pelicans could have offered him less if they were sort of negotiating against themselves but one thing you can't argue is how much he's improved this year on both ends of the floor he was already a top notch defender but i i can argue that he's even taken it up a notch on that end of the floor as well as the offensive side of the floor tell me kevin what is the biggest aspect of true holidays game that's improved this year that surprises you the most?
4: Well, I'll definitely say, um, you know, starting in the off season, I definitely wanted drew back. And I did question the amount of the contract, but I was like, whatever it takes to get him. Cause I thought he was integral to keeping us adequate defensively. And, um, he was always a great defender but he i agree 100% he seems to have stepped up a notch and i know uh kumar is working right now on the on a highlight reel of Drew's defense which he did last year too and those are great so keep up, look out for that i'm looking forward to watching those uh whenever that gets up um but yeah i think um the the biggest thing he's improved in is what we've always questioned about him is is aggressiveness on offense we see a totally different drew holiday uh, and attacking drew holiday a guy who's willing to take the team on his back offensively we saw it in flashes every now and then um including last year there was a little stretch run right before we got boogie where he was uh scoring really well he was taking a ball uh, you know a large number of shots and uh getting to the rim and and shooting well um but his aggression is something like we've never seen from him in New Orleans. Um, I watched a little bit of him when he played in uh, Philly because I actually kind of liked that team. I liked the Lou Williams, uh, Iguodala holiday team. So I watched them a little bit on the pass back then. And he was more aggressive then, but not nowhere near to the level that he is now. And uh, that's been the main thing.
0: Uh, David, let's go ahead and start talking about the game last night against the Clippers, of course, the one that got us into the playoffs. Uh, of course, the final score, 113-100. to 100. Uh, The Pelicans took charge in the third, at the end of the second, into the third, with that 33-6 to six run. But the question that I want to pose to you uh, directly involves Nikola Meritich and not just his improving uh, play. You can check out Adam Claussen's tweet. He uh, has a really nice transition between uh, pre-beard and post-beard. His numbers before last night, 28 points on 56% from the floor. 52% from three and 10 rebounds. Last night, he had 24 points and 16 rebounds on four threes. He's been shooting lights out from three in the past four games. Uh, Not only is his improved play something that we should have discussed, David, but also he's been playing a lot of minutes at center. Have you noticed that?
2: I think for the matchups that the Pelicans have had over these last few games, it was fine to do that. Um, It allowed... Uh, you know, there weren't great bigs that you were facing, and especially offensively, DeAndre Jordan is a very talented big, but he doesn't present a lot of problems in the low post. Um, so, flexibility-wise, you know, it wasn't like you know Golden State again and the team that didn't have a lot of height or girth in the in the middle. And you could say the same for the the other teams on the streak um, that they've faced. Um, but the thing that that is interesting to me is that. A, playing him at center does engage him defensively. It forces him to be where the action is um, in that regard. And it makes him a rebounder, uh, which is an important thing to have. They d- did not have someone to to help Anthony uh, on the boards. And now Miritich has moved back into that position And then offensively, uh, he knows he can beat opposing centers down the floor. So what we're seeing out of him is much more movement. And to me, that was more important than seeing the shots go in at first. It was just that he was willing to be active. He was making himself available as a a cutter. Um, He was using the dribble to to bring himself closer to the basket for shots. So all those things, I think, yeah, making that switch to center has has kind of brought that uh, to him because the matchups are in his favor. Um, and I think that switched mentally, uh, put uh, to flip the switch mentally for him. Uh, so yeah, I don't put a lot of it on the beard. I'm not a superstitious person. I think more of it's just been an aggressive plan by Alvin Gentry to say, we need to keep Nico involved. We need to keep his hands on the basketball in a variety of different ways, including on the defensive end. And I think that that's worked in the Pelicans' benefit.
0: Kevin, I want to go over to you because I have an Etwan Moore question. And you and I have been protectors of the Etuan Moore shield dating back to last offseason and possibly before. In the past five games, he was getting a bit of ridicule in previous months for his up and down play. Uh, I I will defend him to the depth, uh, to the depth, his out of position, uh, the, the versatility that he's been forced into this year. That not necessarily is the most comfortable position for him. He always kind of relished that off-the-bench utility scorer role, and he's had an opportunity to go back to that to an extent with Solomon Hill getting heavy minutes. In the past five games, he's averaging 17 points per game on remarkable shooting. Kevin, do you feel like Etwan Moore, the guy that we we love and adore, is back and ready to play some offense and contribute heavily in much of the way Ian Clark has going into the playoffs?
4: I hope so. I mean, you know, he definitely hit a lull, and those things happen, Um, and I'm hoping he just shot his way out of it, you know, Again, we look at matchups that cause problems for him. If we do end up playing the Jazz, then you know Joe Ingles is a guy that's going to be tough for him to guard. But and other other teams play a lot of smaller guys or guys that just aren't as physically imposing as as a guy like either like a Wiggins or a um, or a Joe Ingles that could beat him up. But um, you know it's good once you start. I think he uh, kept trying to get in the lane, which is good. He's trying to get his floater going and then that got going and then the three ball started falling again. And if we have that, hopefully he fought his way through whatever wall he was in and him and Ian Clark both have been uh, very good lately. I was surprised at how well Ian Clark looked uh, considering coming off an injury that he was supposed to miss the rest of this uh, regular season and maybe be a little questionable going into the playoffs. Um, if those two guys are playing at that level that they're playing at and Miritich is playing well, you know, you have to be excited. Um, But yeah, I'm, I think Moore's back. I don't see any reason not to think he is. I mean, obviously, as we said, he plays out of position much of the game, so he's going to have moments where he's getting abused defensively, but that's just what we live with when we just try to outscore people um, and have AD and uh, Drew Holiday and other defenders, help cover for them and um it's worked uh well the last few games and i think um it should carry over into the playoffs
0: Ali, I saved this question for you because like me, you're kind of an enthusiastic guy and you can get passionate from time (laughs) to time. And the reason that I say this is because I want to bring up Anthony Davis and we just expect the best and the most from him at all times. And so sometimes we go entire podcasts without even mentioning his name. Last night, just a ho-hum performance, 28 points, six rebounds, five blocks. And of course that hilarious visual of him trying to get the ball away from Boban. But the reason that I bring him up is uh, we've grown accustomed to these spectacular alley-oops. But last night, we saw something that I have never seen in my life. Going into the transition, when Rajon Rano threw up the ball, I thought it was originally intended for Etwan Moore. And when I saw how high it went off the glass, I thought it was an easy turnover and a transition leading the other way. Just write a love letter to Anthony Davis and, and what he's capable of. What's he capable of? Yeah, it's
3: funny how a player who's been in the league as long as he has, we're still talking about seeing him almost for the first time after he does something amazing. And I think that is what exclusively shows what a transcendent player he is. He's finally seizing upon that mantle he was given so early in his career. You know, basically after that 24-15 season, so much was expected of him. So it was almost kind of a letdown that, you know, both personally and the team didn't have that success riding off of that last postseason appearance. So, yeah, it's just great to see that this season um, he's taken another step People haven't noticed this, but he's been taking steps ever since that postseason as to where he's been trying to make himself a more uh, versatile player. As to where he doesn't have to rely on a point guard to create offense for him. And so this season, he's added that ball handling. But just sticking to the topic, though, Preston, you're right. I mean, that dunk almost, you know, is a perfect analogy for just how he still has that wow factor that at any given moment in any given uh, game, he can explode for something unimaginable, something amazing. Uh, For instance, his stat line for just this month of April, I haven't heard one person tweet it out, write about it anything, but he's averaging 30 points, grabbing 10 rebounds a game, averaging uh, over three blocks, almost three and a half per game, over two steals a game, and shooting lights out from everywhere on the floor. Guess what? Not a single person's written about it, and we're five games into this month. So it's just a testament to this guy. I can go on and on about him, and I'm hoping that we all can. Uh, by a deep playoff run because honestly that's where his next step is and i know david and i have talked about it in games a lot on what a player of his caliber needs to do to take that next step and ad knows just like he made those remarks to rachel nichols he knows that he's going to be judged by what he does in the postseason and so far even though he's had a great stat line he's got four losses attached and no wins so he's going to be looking to change that and hopefully there'll be a lot more fireworks along the way that we can enjoy
0: David, I want to uh, h- hop off the positive train for just a second and talk about one of the things that didn't go so right for the Pelicans last night. And, of course, that is in reference to being out-rebounded by 13, 16 offensive rebounds, points in the paint. Uh, they were out-dueled by 18. But I want to I want to harp on rebounds because as soon as the Pelicans took Mecca Okafor out of the lineup and inserted Nikola Meritich, they have been beaten on that, that end of the floor, and it hasn't really cost them anything yet because the Pelicans have been so remarkably efficient on offense. But just this month alone, uh, I can't remember how many games it's been, but the Pelicans are rebounding the ball six times fewer than they were in previous months and over the season as a whole. Are you concerned about this at all going forward?
2: Yes, because, you know, as we talked about, they've played a lot of teams that are below 500. Um, Over these past few weeks, and you can get away with those types of things, but in the playoffs, obviously rebounding and having multiple chances with the basketball is an extremely important facet of the game. Um, This team has to rebound better. It will never be a great rebounding team as presently constructed but it has to be better than what it has been. It it can't give up the number of offensive rebounds that we've seen in certain games where they've given up 16, you know, offensive rebounds to an opponent or, um, and they can't, just concede the lane as they have on a number of occasions. I mean, last night, and 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 you could say it against the Golden State game for for a while too. There were just times where teams have been able to just go up and down the court, um, and and through the lane with very little resistance. Uh, and that's partially because again, you don't have a lot of physical size out on the wings to bump cutters and divert them towards uh, Anthony Davis or or Miritich to to slow them down. Uh, and there isn't really a great shot blocker outside of Okafor, and he's just not getting those minutes. Um, I, I think it, it's, it, you know, against teams in the playoffs, you're going to have to be more physical. Uh, there will be, uh, you know, uh, uh, times when the game gets very slow. And we know that the Pelicans struggle in those in those situations. So rebounding becomes uh, an extremely important thing. So that means that we have to be more team rebounding by this group. And especially, I would say, probably by Rajon Rondo, who has shown that he's a great rebounder at the guard position.
0: Kevin, uh the Pelicans look to be kind of pacing themselves early on in this game, much in the way that they that they did about this uh against the Suns before that 33 to 6 explosion. Were you at all concerned at any point in the first half?
4: Um before I go into that, I just want to add something to what David was talking about just now. Um I want to ask you guys a question. We're all basically kind of worried about the Utah Jazz game if we have to play <laughs> the Utah Jazz because of Bear because of Ingalls against uh, Moore. But what would you think? As I think this is opponent that we can get away with this lineup with, where you would have AD Miritich and Omeka Okafor playing solid, or even Czech Diallo playing solid minutes together, because I think Miritich could do a fine job against Joe Ingalls. Um, Joe Ingalls is not an athlete, and they're like big, uh, you know, the same size. So that would take away that mismatch of. Of uh, more having to guard him, but also give you that rebounding that you were missing in other lineups.
2: I like I Ingles still spreads them out. I, I, I'm just sorry. My, I just think my issue would be that Ingles would still spread them out, and they get rebounding from favors. Or from, you know, even Mitchell is a solid rebounder, as a guard. Um, and, and Rubio has done a good job rebounding when he plays against the Pelicans. So I, I don't think it's a, it's a one-player switch that all of a sudden makes it easier. And I'm not saying that's what you're trying to say. I just think Utah, the, the, the way that they play, as, along with their personnel, just makes it very difficult to match up.
3: I can see um, Alvin Gentry possibly trying that against Utah, Kevin, because it kind of does make sense, especially if they're struggling. That is, the Pelicans are. Uh, but I think that would take away too much of what they try and do offensively, and of course we all know that, and that's to push the pace. I think if you remove another guy that can get up the floor in a hurry and has that dribbling capability of getting through and around players, I think that would take away more than what it would add, uh, possibly defensively on the and on the boards.
4: Okay. Now, sorry, Preston, back to your question. Um, I did, you know, the, the way the game started, I made the joke, uh, I'm talking about the Clippers game last night you were asking me about um, that nobody seemed to be able to score. I, I was like, oh, baseball is also on ESPN too. And so, you know, like it hadn't switched over. So I was a little bit worried when we came out looking a little bit flat, but they were a little bit flat too. But then once you know, once we got going, it was like, okay, we got this one. Um, you know, I, with in the towards the end of the first quarter, I was like, okay, this game's in the bag. You know, the way Drew and AD were playing defensively was incredible like you could make a case for Drew Holiday being first team all defense just from that first quarter of that one single game that's how incredible his defensive presence was um so very quickly I was like okay this one's in the in the sack you know um especially knowing that you weren't gonna see Lou Williams who could come off the bench and get hot and change uh the course of the game or even Austin Rivers who's you know uh played a lot better down the stretch this year um than we were used to. Um, so yeah, th- at the very beginning, I did have a little doubt, but it went away very quickly.
0: All right. Some of those things you were mentioning about the Clippers coming out and struggling, uh, they were eight of 19 from the free throw line, so That was a lot of points that could have contributed to making this one a bit more competitive. And while the Pelicans were 11 and 30 from three, uh, the Clippers were just two of 17. So that was another struggle that, uh, went against them in their favor but you can attribute a lot of that to the pelicans defense like i think ali was saying earlier the pelicans have played like a top five defense and have defended the three-point shot much better and a lot of that is having Nikola meritage out on the floor having a lot more movement having a lot more foot speed and uh frankly just trying harder than maybe they did back in december uh are you guys ready to get to to previewing san antonio is there anything else you want to touch upon in this game no, nope. no, I, that, I just think of your answer. Yeah, they were just trying to, yeah, yeah. All right, great. Let's talk about San Antonio. Obviously, the difference right now uh, between losing and winning is a highly coveted fourth or fifth seed as opposed to a seventh or eighth seed. We've already discussed why the Pelicans are leery to face Golden State or Houston in the first round and would prefer uh, Utah, but I, I, I think uh, everybody would agree that Portland is the team that we would most like to draw in the first round. Is that right?
3: Yeah, yes. Yeah
0: all right universal let's talk about the spurs 43 and 16 these guys like to slow it down and muck it up they're 29th in pace first in defense third in defensive rating 17th in offensive rating so they are pretty efficient on the offensive floor even though they play a lot of half court offense they don't foul they block shots they don't turn the ball over they are seventh in offensive rebounds, something the pelicans have really been struggling with right now however the spurs have been kind of struggling of late they lost two last week to the clippers and the lakers in back-to-back games before bouncing back against the Blazers who were at full strength at the time I know that Damian Lillard had missed a couple of games there with an ankle and then they survived the Kings last night in a game that I don't know if you guys were closely watching it ended up being 98 to 93 but the Kings led throughout all the way through the end of the third quarter before San Antonio kind of uh, put their foot on the gas pedal early on the fourth the last time these two teams matched up NOLA erased a 15-point deficit. I can't remember exactly when it was in the fourth quarter, probably somewhere around the three-minute mark where the Pelicans pulled to within one, 91-90. And I was feeling pretty confident that they were going to do it yet again, come back on an opponent and upset them. And then Anthony Davis was tossed from the game. Uh, And that one was the one that we talked about. Rajon Rondo had a negative 23 rating in 24 minutes uh, going into that matchup. I, I didn't like him against some of those backcourt players, specifically DeJounte Murray and Quinn cook, those quicker guys who like to attack on the baseline who like to cut over screens. I think those aren't the optimal matchups for Rajon Rondo defensively. I like having him on guys like Andre Iguodala who struggle with the shot. And I prefer them taking him down the post and using their size over him because at least in that instance, you can have somebody like Anthony Davis or Maricic come over and help. Anyway, I digress. We'll start with our guest of honor, David Grubb. What's going to happen on Wednesday?
2: Uh, I think it's going to be a very tight game. Um, you know, the key always against the Spurs is how well do you execute? Do you not beat yourself? Um, because they are not the the team that's now able to um, force the action as they, they were um, with Kawhi Leonard on the floor. So they've become just a, a great predatory team. They know what they're going to do and they try to force you to do things that you don't want to do. Um, so the Pelicans will have to execute. And what you hope is that the Pelicans come into this the same way they viewed the Clippers game, that it's business uh, that they have to come in uh, and start assert themselves early, uh, show that they're dominant uh, on their home floor. And that this game is not something that the Spurs are going to be able to walk away with. Um, If they do that, I think that they can, you know, that they should win. Uh, This is a game that they're supposed to win and they should close the season out on a five game win streak, but they have to do, um, they have to play the kind of basketball that they've played the last four games. And that's, you know, relatively mistake-free guys, not exceeding their roles and, and getting some lockdown defense on the perimeter again from Drew holiday. He'll have to do that one more time, um, you know, to end the regular season and Anthony Davis is going to have to probably score 30 again. Um, But That's what this team has been able to do. And so they just have to do it one more time. But I do think it'll be a very close game.
0: I'm going to go over to Ali next. The Pelicans did not have Solomon Hill the last time they faced these guys. So DeAndre Liggins got a couple of minutes. I think he got somewhere around 10. And at this point in time, Alvin Gentry chose to start Nikola Meretic over Emeka Okafor, which didn't work out in their favor at the time as Meretic just saw three for 12. And he was still in the middle of that slump. Here's what I want to uh, ask you, Ali. And of course, you can talk about whichever subject that you want. But Rajan Rondo in his last performance against the Spurs struggled. Where would you, obviously the Pelicans need him on the floor to initiate offense? Where would you hide him? I think I would honestly stick him maybe on Danny Green.
3: Danny Green cannot, for the life of him, uh, make a three-point shot in this month. I just looked. He's at 13%. He, uh, he's gotten to the point where Coach Pop can't even keep him out there on the court. He plays 16 minutes against the Kings um that's pretty incredible stuff so you you basically find a non-shooter and you know what the spurs have quite a few of them i don't particularly like him on murray simply because murray's bigger a lot quicker but a guy like green who honestly doesn't look to beat anybody off a dribble doesn't look for the cuts etc uh he only is basically just a spot-up shooter that's a guy that would be optimal to stick around on a guy like him and then of course then you've got you could use a holiday to stick out on patty mills and then when either Tony Parker or Manu Ginobili coming in the game. So I actually, I really do like this uh, matchup for the Pelicans. Um, and of course, Anthony Davis is going to have to play at his best. I feel like LaMarcus Aldridge has gotten the better of him, especially in that last game. Uh, Aldridge has been playing, you know, if it wasn't for him, there's no way the Spurs would be in the playoffs right now. Uh, simply put, he's been playing stellar ball for them. I know he had a kind of an off game against the Kings, but before that he's been on a heck of a roll, averaging right around 30 points a game. So AD's I like it, though, because AD can step up. And if AD's got his head screwed on, which nobody should think otherwise, um, it's going to be a tight matchup there. And then you've got, like I said, Holiday on Mills. And then what I like is Rudy Gay coming off the bench has always been kind of a problem, I feel, especially for the Pelicans, you know, having that big wing coming off the bench. And uh, the Pelicans have Solomon Hill. Granted, Solomon, boy, he, he needs to make a shot, huh? I was looking. He hasn't made a shot in four games, hasn't made a three in, like, maybe five games or something like that. But defensively, he, he's giving that effort and you're hoping that somehow sooner or later he's going to be or find enough of an offense, be enough of a difference maker somewhere else other than defensively for him new to uh, earn minutes from Gentry in the playoffs. Because right now I'm not even certain you, you want him included for, you know, 10 plus minutes in games because honestly, he's just not given anything for you. He's not given that rebounding, that, that playmaking, even though he's never been a big playmaker. He's always been able to make a couple of good uh, assists, you know, where it leads the easy baskets. So there's a lot to like about this matchup, Preston. I know I've gone roundabout way in answering this question, but I like it. And I really think that the Pelicans are going to emerge victorious.
0: Now, while the Pelicans have a lot of advantages in that they have Solomon Hill back over DeAndre Liggins, and we can debate whether or not, um, you know, who, who's playing better basketball right now, obviously. Solo's been uh, a zero offensively. But the Pelicans have shortened their rotation. It's made them a lot better. The Spurs, so too, are going to do the exact same thing. Don't expect a lot of minutes from Davis Bertans, Brent Forbes, those type of guys. It's going to be a short lineup. Rudy Gay only played six minutes the last time we faced him because he was coming back. I want to say it was his ankle. And, of course, there's always going to be a heavy minute workload somewhere around 20 to 20 five from tony parker manu ginobili and Pau gasol who only had 10 minutes he was also coming back from an ankle injury what i want to ask you kevin uh dating back to something we talked with grub about meritage getting some minutes at center we know how anthony davis always relishes the opportunity to defend LaMarcus aldridge and i think he does as good a job as anybody in the league with that being said the last time these two guys hmm. faced off uh we probably lost grub is that who we lost yeah all right, great. Uh, Grub. thank you so much. Again, follow him at DM Grubb and at Crescent City Sports. Always love having him on. Uh, Kevin, back to what we were talking about with Anthony Davis. Um, he got into foul trouble early and it reduced his minute uh, workload to somewhere around 36 on the night. If he had played a couple more minutes and gotten up to 38, the Pelicans maybe walk away uh, with a win do you still rely on Anthony Davis to go head to head with LaMarcus Aldridge this one, this game, or do you put somebody like Merit Diallo or Okafer on him for large spurts of time?
4: No, I, I definitely think you put Anthony Davis on him. I mean, he's the Spurs best player. He plays this, you know, the same position. You can, him and Anthony Davis are power forward centers, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're those like hybrid power forward center guys. And AD has done a great job on him in the past. And, he uh you know, that, that last game he, he got in some foul trouble, but you think you're gonna um uh, you gotta you gotta hope that he's not gonna do that again. And I think you need to make sure you slow him down because if you slow him down then that's you know, really limiting what the Spurs wanna do. And the other thing I just wanna throw out there matchup wise is uh in regards to the question you asked Ollie, this might surprise Ollie. But I have a different opinion on who I would hide Rondo on. I would actually hide him on Kyle Anderson. As much as I love Kyle Anderson, he's not a guy who's looking to score. He's not an aggressive guy. He's he's more looking to set other guys up. And while he has a clear size advantage over Rondo, Rondo's wingspan is enough to give him a little bit of trouble. And you got to think that we're going to get that engaged Rondo anyway, so he's going to be better defensively. And Kyle Anderson is not a quick player. Um, so I think that's a matchup I would look at. Also, he's not a good perimeter shooter. So he's not going to kill you on the perimeter. If if uh, Rondo can just stay in front of him enough to guide him into, you know, a Davis or an Okafor or Diallo who's protecting the rim, I think that's the way to go. Um, and then it also helps Ian um, Etwan Moore out because then he gets to go guard a guard instead of, uh, you know, getting beat up by... Uh, you know, a much bigger Kyle Anderson if he does, uh, you know, try to go through, play through Etwan Moore. So that's the way I would go there. But I would definitely, I think, you know, when your best player is the same position as the other team's best player, you want those guys going at each other. You want them feeding off of, you know, feeding off of that guy and and taking pride and trying to shut him down. And I think that's the way to go with Anthony Davis in in this matchup.
0: I feel like that's an important question, so I'm going to bounce it off Ali as well. Should Anthony Davis go head-to-head with LaMarcus and get into foul trouble early, let's say two fouls in the opening quarter, do you change your plan at that point and put somebody else on Aldridge?
3: Yeah, I think you almost have to, right? It's a game where you've got to keep your star players on the court no matter what, and if LaMarcus, for whatever reason, is getting Anthony Davis out of position, just basically... Um, fooling him into certain stupid fouls or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, you've got to go ahead and try and maybe give Miritich some time on him. And if, if last resort, I guess you got to go to your bench um, and go to Okafor. Can't imagine Diallo having any success against him. But granted, I, I'm not expecting that. I don't think any of us should. Because for the most part, AD, yeah, he may pick up a foul two, but he's normally very good in that category. He, he will not um, always, he, he's never normally that guy that's a threat of fouling out. So coaches never have to worry about pulling him off. But also, yeah, if you guys want to talk about a case scenario also, maybe that would happen.
4: Also Aldridge is like a he's mainly a mid-range jump shooter. You know, he's not like a guy that's driving and dunking where you normally get in fouls. As long as AD doesn't leave his feet on jump shots, you you shouldn't have too many opportunities
3: for him to foul him. Yeah, but Aldridge can get aggressive. I don't know. I've watched a lot of the Spurs this year and whenever he's got somebody slightly smaller, he will attack them in the post. And then he's also done a good job of attacking the glass, too. Um, Grant, Kevin, you're right. When he's shooting the ball, he's obviously out of position and usually getting the offensive rebound. But when the offense isn't going through him,
0: I think he's done a wonderful job in, you know getting involved elsewhere. Now, this will come across as a hot take, and I do confess on this podcast that I don't know basketball as well as Ali and Kevin do. With that being said... Uh, Rudy Gay is going to come off the bench, but he is going to play starters minutes or somewhere close to it. I wouldn't mind seeing Rajon Rondo try his luck on him. Obviously, Rudy Gay is going to back him down on the post every single time and he's going to ask for the ball every single time but there are opportunities for guys to swing over and help him, whether it be Diallo, whether it be AD, whether it be uh, Miritich or Okafor, and I don't think Rudy Gay can take advantage of Rondo on the perimeter. Uh, obviously, he's going to try to fight on screens like these guys are, but it just makes me nervous. Kyle Anderson has great foot speed. He's got that that wingspan that that he can use if he can get under the basket to get an easy lay-in. Uh, DeJounte Murray is lightning quick and has that excellent uh, stop-and-pop uh, jumper. Patty Mills, lightning quick, too. He fights over screens and can drain an easy three. Uh, Danny Green's another compelling one. He is really fast, and he does fight over streams and he does remain active, but like Ollie said, he hasn't been shooting well, so in the starting lineup, I think that might be a compelling place to put Rondo, uh, so that'll be interesting to see how Alvin Gentry uh, adjusts to the last time that they played these guys. Let's move on. We're pretty much set, and we can wrap it up after a couple of questions. We actually got, I think, six this time, so thank you so much to jc's dad clint white Salmon eagles 2001 and playoff times pelicans uh i'm gonna start with jc's dad and we'll start with kevin um and he is basically basking in the glory of dell demps and the success that he's had this year he says how impressed are you that dell was able to craft a roster that includes four of the top 70 players in the league
4: oh i mean it's great i mean you know i've always been team dell so i i think you know it's just another feather in his cap i mean I mean, for a while, Miritich looked like he was struggling, you know, and now he's, he looked like the player we're expecting or even better than we were expecting, honestly, I would say those last few games. Um, but to acquire a talent like him and dump Omar Ashik for just a first round pick and also get a second round pick back in the process, I mean, that's an incredible move coming off the heels of also acquiring, um, you know, the Marcus Cousins last year. And now we're going into the, the, we'll go into the off season, and, you know, everybody's, you know, I'd say we're all 99.9% sure at, at minimum that Boogie will be back. And now you have a roster with these kinds of talents that, that also provide you with a crazy amount of flexibility and lineups and play styles where you can uh, create so many problems for other people. I think he's done a marvelous job of assembling a roster. Um, I thought he did a good job before when he got Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans and even Ryan Anderson, who was a player I didn't necessarily enjoy, but he is a guy that I understood his fit and what they wanted to do. And I think that roster would have been successful um, had he not had the injury luck that he had Um so, I mean, I feel like he's done a, a, a great job, and I, I'm very happy that he's, you know, getting accolades and praise now um, because he's been through a lot. And his senior here, he's dealt with so many issues, and he's gotten a lot of slander because of things that were beyond his control, injuries, um, death of a player, um, all these kinds of things um, that he's dealt with Um So, yeah, I mean, I'm very happy for Dell Demps and I'm very happy for us because, uh, you know, he did give us those players. We have Anthony Davis, we have DeMarcus Cousins, we have Drew Holiday, we have Miritich, we have role players like Rondo and Ian Clark and Etwan Moore that are all quality guys, you know, Um, and it's exciting.
0: Uh, Ali, I'm going to throw this one over to you. And, of course, feel free to chime back in on that subject if you'd like. This one is from Clint White and it says, Come Playoffs... Does Emeka Okafor take back the Czech Diallo minutes or has he been completely superseded in the rotation?
3: Good question. I had this on radio show earlier today, and I feel like Alvin Gentry is partially showing his hand as we're finishing the season up. And he wants to emphasize small ball. That's why Miritich has moved in the starting lineup. That's why Diallo is earning minutes currently ahead of um, Okafor. I mean, these are all games the Pelicans had to win. So it's not like this is any kind of development. This isn't any kind of let's see what we have in this guy. Maybe he can you know go ahead and jump ahead of Amecha on a depth chart. No, the Pelicans' coaching staff has made has made their move, and it's echoing nothing but small ball to me. So I do think that Diallo is going to get first opportunity over Amecha. I think that they just think that his speed and his ability just to do. Uh, just to cover more players in general on the, the defensive end, because of that speed and quickness offers the versatility that they're trying to maintain uh, throughout the lineup. That being said, I feel like they're a little bit underselling Okafor. I mean, we've all talked about, especially you pressing, you've hammered this point where Okafor has made a difference in so many games and it's not just his rebounding and it's not just defending that rim. but he switched off on a few guys. He has shown his ability or this ability to not be completely overwhelmed when put out of play. So that being said, I mean, I think that he, he'll be that. It's good to have that backup, but I'm not expecting him to earn minutes ahead of anybody. No, what we've seen lately in terms of the minutes um, that have been staggered and handed, handed out by the coaching staff, that's going to continue in the
0: playoffs. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of spots where I would prefer to see Okafor over Diallo and against Portland is one of the principal ones. And should the Pelicans need help going against LaMarcus Aldridge, that's definitely an assignment that I would rather lean towards Mecca Okafor on. With that being said, check Diallo. He's he's come out of these games uh, at the outset kind of slow. But uh, he's always put on the gas pedal as the game goes uh, goes along, and he just keeps getting better and better. So certainly hope for the best for him, hope that he can come up big in these playoffs, and we see a lot more Wakanda Forever salutes. Uh, Here's two questions from Solomon. I'm going to roll over the first one if you guys don't mind. He says, what the heck is up with Solomon Hill? And I think we already – answered that one to an extent I think he's still dealing with that hamstring um, in case we didn't mention it and uh, his shooting touch obviously uh, was never really quite there with the exception of the Houston Rockets game last year but with that being said Jamel McMillan said on the podcast a while back that he was training threes at a pretty impressive clip over the offseason so hopefully he's able to regain whatever touch uh, he was practicing then but I I think it's a health thing I think he's lacking a lot of uh, lateral mobility at this point Uh, but hopefully he can he can get some of that back as we go into the playoffs because the Pelicans could certainly use a solid perimeter defender. Here is the second question that I think is very interesting that I want to ask Kevin: Should Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps be extended this offseason?
4: Yeah, I mean, why not? Um, I, I, they've done nothing to say that would make you say no. I mean, look, like I've like I've said, I've been one of Gentry's harshest critics. But he's at least an average level coach, if not better than that. And it's hard to find something that's better than that um, out there. So by replacing him, you're setting back continuity, which is going to be very important for a team that's, you know, trying to stay in the playoffs. Um, Whether if you were to make a change, I think it should be from within. So there is a level of continuity, but I don't think there should be a change made because he's done enough to prove that he belongs here and that he has the guys believing in him. now. Let's see how he, before I'm willing to say that he's a great coach, I want to see how he reintegrates once Boogie comes back and if we play different styles, if we play uh, different ways. But, you know, I'm not going to complain about the guy right now. I mean, he's uh, doing great with, the, with a roster that fits what he wants to do. He's got solid rotations. He's putting uh, the offense flows very well. You know, he's got um, guys playing the way he wants to play. And he has guys that can play the way he wants to play. So everything's clicking. And um, I don't see any reason to rock that boat, even if we were to get swept and destroyed in the playoffs or we weren't even in a close game. I think, you know, the harm to the continuity is worse than the, the opportunity that you would gain by hiring someone else that you're taking a gamble on them being better. You're taking a gamble on them connecting with guys like DeMarcus Cousins or. Rajan Rondo. So in, you know, like I've already said about Del Demps, I'm I'm a big Dell Demps supporter. I always have been. So I, I definitely think you got to bring him back. He had two huge home runs at the trade deadline two years in a row. And he's always been able to find those, uh, you know, role players for cheap or those stopgap guys to fill in until a guy can come back that keeps you afloat. Float. So yeah, I mean, there's no reason to make any changes.
0: I think I made it too easy on Kevin Ali. I I meant to be specific as to how many years. And here's why I asked this. DeMarcus Cousins, I think, going into this offseason, I think it's inevitable that he's going to get a two-year, $60 million contract. And here's why. One, so the Pelicans can... uh, have some kind of security going forward in case he doesn't bounce back from the Achilles. Also it offers him the opportunity to get back on the market for that critical 10 year, whatever, supermax, five year, $207 million contract, whatever it is, he'll be eligible for that in just two more seasons. So it actually benefits both parties. So if you do extend Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps for multiple seasons, do you do it for just two or for more?
3: Well, if you do it too, for too few, it's going to look like a lame duck type of situation where you don't have enough trust. You're going to say that, okay, this season seems kind of flukish. Prove it to me again over the next two. I think they're going to have to go either all or uh, nothing in, basically. Um, and I think, honestly, the same thing with Boogie. Preston, while well, I I like your take, and that's the one I, I had still, steadily fast to for the longest time, I don't think it's going to work out like that. I just, you know, I don't foresee it. I think that the Marcus honestly, is probably going to, uh, and his agents are going to push for that five year kind of max and he's going to get his money now for a guy who's made as much money as he had in his career. And you got to think all the sponsorships and everything else he's gotten to that considering this injury, considering it's unknown even to him on how his, the rest of his career is going to play out. It might be too big of a gamble to do otherwise. You know, I mean, there's betting on yourself and then it's just being flat out stupid. So I, I just foresee that cousins is probably likely going to go ahead and sign for that longer term deal, maybe about four years but if it takes Max, you know, I feel like that the players have all the leverage here, you know, so unless um, unless some kind of miracle can be worked out. But again, when have we seen Dell Demps and uh, this front office be able to go ahead and keep or lower a player for less than their market price? It hasn't happened hardly at all. So I'm not expecting it. And therefore, Preston, I think that if you do resign um, Alvin Gentry, if you do resign Dell Demps, I think for at least Dell Demps, you've got to lock them up to a longer term deal. Um, like I said, it's just a bad look when you only do it for one or two years, some kind of extension like that just doesn't look right. And then for Alvin, you only commit to him long-term if you think he's going to go ahead and remain a coach, a viable coach in this league for the next four years. And what I mean by that, he's getting up there in age. Um, I'm sure there's a succession plan that's been considered at some point. So, you know, he's not going to continue coaching on forever, but, um, yeah, it's all going to come down to what he really wants, but I don't, I think it'll be more than for two years. At least one of those two guys should net more than two years. All right, Kevin, we've
0: got just two left. Uh, sorry, this one has been a bit longer. We've been a bit longer. There's more to talk about recently, or it's more fun to talk, I guess, when your team is doing really well. Uh, this one is from Eagles 2001, and he says, talk about your level of surprise at, oh, no, he's referring to on the season, one of his biggest surprises is just how important Rajon Rondo has been to the locker room. Obviously, we heard reports in Chicago, him being, you know, voted as the best teammate by guys like Bobby Portis and Nicole who were very vocal about what he meant to them but with that being said of course he's had these ongoing disputes with ray allen in the media uh we remember the fallout of rick carlisle and the mavericks who wouldn't give him any of their playoff bonuses and of course in sacramento as well are you surprised at just how integral rajan rondo has been to this team's success uh behind closed doors
4: no you know i'm really not and i think we said that um early in the offseason i think ali and i both agreed on this um that, you know, you hear all this baggage about this guy. And I think that the thing with Rajon Rondo is he's a very highly intelligent person and very intelligent people question things and they question authority. And in an old school basketball environment, a lot of old school coaches like a Rick Carlisle or, you know, a George, like he didn't play for George Carl, but let's just say George Carl. Um, or did he did he play for George Carl? Was he? Yeah, he was the Kings coach at the time, right? Yeah. That's right. So he um, those kind of guys are going to bristle at a player questioning everything that they do. And a guy like Rondo, from what we learn about him and what we learned a lot about him, I felt like on media day was that he was a guy that would question you constantly. But it wasn't because he was second guessing you. He just wanted to understand why you wanted to do things the way you wanted to do them. So he could understand that because he really wanted to learn. He wanted to know everything there was to know now he's a very competitive guy and he obviously can be clearly a petty guy with his, you know, with his stuff with Ray Allen and with Isaiah Thomas, those kind of things. But I think having a coach like Alvin Gentry, who is not a Rick Carlisle, who's not, you know, even say, you know, not a Tom Thibodeau, like he wouldn't have worked. Rajon and Rondo would not have worked with Monty Williams, where he would oh, no. clearly would work with, Alvin Gentry because Alvin Gentry is more a flexible, easygoing, laid back, open sort of coach in that in that aspect, whereas those other guys are more rigid and set in stone and old school and, you know, I'm the boss, you know, kind of mentality. Um, so I never really doubted uh, him being an issue in the locker room, especially when you have the Marcus Cousins signing off on him and that's the guy that you were mostly worried about pleasing this offseason. And then when you when we went to Media Day, you could see every player was just gushing about Rondo and being around him and how great it is to pick his brain into, you know, how smart he was and how he was going to make everybody better and how he, he opened up everybody's game. And I feel like even when he was struggling, um, you know, in those certain matchups, Uh, that he struggles in or those slumps that he would go in where he wasn't looking well or the effort wasn't there on the court. And and we were questioning his ability on the floor. We never questioned his IQ and what the intangibles that he brought to the team, because we saw him coaching people on the floor. We saw him coaching from the bench. Like I sit behind the bench. So I see him uh, talking to players constantly standing up, barking out orders. You know, he's a guy that's involved in, we needed a guy like that. You know, the guys that we've had before that were supposed to be those guys were like Kendrick Perkins and John Salmons, which I mean, come, I mean, Kendrick Perkins. I liked him and he was on some good teams, but he's not a guy that's going to earn the respect that that like Rajon Rondo had in his important role in a title team in in Boston and uh, the respect he has throughout the league. So I feel like that was a home run. In terms of locker room bonding and chemistry and overall team IQ, and so I didn't question it, and I think we were very clear about that early on in the off season on podcasts and articles that we've written, Ali uh, and I. I mean, I know there's, uh, you know, other writers on on our team on our uh, from the bird rights don't like them or have issues with them, but I think uh, for us
0: uh, that we were we
4: had no concerns.
0: Uh- Kevin, let's wrap this up. I think we're somewhere around an hour and 10 minutes. Give us a prediction for the San Antonio Spurs on Wednesday.
4: Uh, I think, you know, I I said it last pod that I thought we would win this game, and I still think we'll win this game. I think it's going to be a very exciting game. I think it's a game that the crowd will be very much into, very electric like the last time we closed the season against the Spurs uh, to go into the postseason. Um, That one obviously meant more, but this is still – very important, and uh, the fans will be there, and I think it will play out sort of similarly. I think we'll have a pretty good lead going into halftime. We'll ride the crowd, and then Popovich will make adjustments, and we'll have a, a slow third quarter. Um, they'll they'll catch back up on us, but we'll fight through in the fourth, and it'll be a close win in the end, and I'm, I'll say 110-107 uh,
3: Pelicans. All right, what about you, Ollie? I think the Pelicans are going to win as well. They've just been too good uh, of late. And uh, so you expect the effort to be there. You just need enough execution. I think for a, a Spurs team, this isn't a typical Spurs team where that has a lot of weapons because, you know, Kawhi Leonard's missing because they haven't had the shooting that maybe Popovich would want. So I just think as long as the Pelicans are above average, that they should beat a very average Spurs team. Um, so I'll give them, I don't know, I think it's made a little bit lower score. I think it's going to be a lot more defensive oriented. So I'm going to go with about 103 to 90 98
0: Wow, you guys certainly are confident. And I do think the Pelicans are the better team in this matchup. With that being said, the Pelicans haven't really taken care of business against uh, playoff opponents as of late, with the exception of the Golden State Warriors. But with that being said, the Golden State Warriors have nothing to play for at this moment. And also, you've got guys like Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green who are on minutes restrictions because they're still playing for the regular season. In this one, you're going to see the full allotted total, probably 40 minutes from LaMarcus Aldridge, whoever is hot, They're going to ride them as long as they need to in order to get this win. So this one is definitely going to be a dogfight. I think Kevin's uh, assessment 110, or sorry, 110. God, I got to get some sleep. 110 to 107 uh, is probably pretty apt. Uh, Let's go Pelicans. Let's see if we can wrap up a fifth seed and possibly get a matchup with Portland and Utah. Utah has two games left. If they can manage to take care of Golden State tonight and then Portland tomorrow, guess what, guys? We get to face Portland. That's right, right, Ollie?
3: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I can't wait for these two days in. By the way, I am so tired and my brain hurts from looking at all these possible scenarios, man.
0: All right. I'm tired, too. I had to work early this morning, but I stayed up last night. Make sure that you guys give uh, the OTG Basketball Network a follow. Last night, I guested in and I uh, hosted their social media account for them, uh, trying to cover the Pelicans as best that I could. I might do that again, uh, possibly for a playoff game or tomorrow against the Spurs. If we've got somebody running the bird rights handle uh, just to generate some more traffic to them and to generate some more traffic to us. Uh, for now, that's it, Pels fans. Thank you for tuning into our playoff edition. We're going to have So much more coverage coming your way in the upcoming weeks. Of course, uh, we're going to recap the Spurs game on Thursday. Then we're going to have some previews and some recaps after every game for the rest of the Pelicans' time in the postseason. I'm trying to get a hold of J.R. Wilco, somebody I've had on the pod three to four times before, the editor uh, of Pounding the Rock. He is a fantastic interview. Ali, I don't know if you can help me with that. I haven't heard from him today, so I have uh, reached out to the rest of their site and their network. Uh, That's probably more information that you guys need to hear, but whatever. As always, send your questions to me, at Preston Ellis, and for all you dissenters out there who may not like me, you can send all of your comments to at Ali Cosell. Uh, we've got a big home game on Wednesday. Make sure that we sell it out, pack the Smoothie King Center. Kevin, before I let us go, anything from you?
4: Um, Sure. Um, well, while I've not written anything new in a little bit, I want to get back into that. I've been focusing a little bit on art, but I do have an art-based uh, thing coming up soon where uh, I'm going to design these new shirts that are Check the themed that are a play off of uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy, which I wish David Grubb was still on because He's actually wearing a shirt that I'm uh, based for the album that I'm basing this off of for uh, in his avatar. But it's a, you know, Fear of a Block jumper. Um, and he's going to be doing the Wakanda pose with the, with the Pelican's hat on. And uh, it's going to be pretty cool, I think. And I'll launch that soon. Hopefully, I'm trying to tighten that up. Then I'll get back to writing.
0: That sounds awesome. Uh again, follow him at Kevin B for Bounce. And once again, follow David at DM Grub and at Crescent City Sports. Ollie, editor-in-chief to the com, What have we got coming from you?
3: We got a lot of stuff pressing. There's so much to write about um, how well the Pelicans have been playing down the stretch, how they got in the playoffs, what to expect in the playoffs, what players we can rely on, lineups to see. There's gonna be a whole slew of things, including some round tables, which you mentioned to me. And I think we got to bring those back. That's a good idea too.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Ali. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you for David. This has been our post playoff edition of the bird calls a very exciting time to be a Pelicans fan. As we discussed with David, Uh, not just for the organization, not just for Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, all these guys who put in the work, our friend, Jamel McMillan, uh, but also for the community, for the people of new Orleans who haven't really enjoyed too much basketball success in the 15 year history uh, in new Orleans of the new Orleans Pelicans slash Hornets. So really exciting time. Hope that it keeps rolling Hope that it uh the Pelicans are able to upend San Antonio because man, if they are able to secure the fifth, possibly even the fourth seed into the playoffs and draw a team like Portland, there's just no guaranteeing what could or could not happen in the first round. So definitely uh stay locked in here, stay locked in to the Bird Rights and OTG, where you can catch some of my work over there as well as our podcast being hosted there. And for now, let's go, Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.